0: What's up everyone this is Tim Icke with the library we continue our interview with kumodi
1: check it out
0: out of the media spotlight was there ever a, I guess a conversation that all, just all all MCs had together about like I mean like did you ever say this is the issue right now. You know, I did why-
2: tons and tons and tons of interviews, uh, had conversations with people, and it just felt like, and this is kind of my first introduction to, which I kind of played, this kind of worked against me in many ways, but I just had to take the good with the bad. It was my one big uh, uh, drawback in terms of not having uh, a publicist. I had a, a publicist at Jive Records uh, Dwayne Taylor, but he used to be mad because I would very rarely want to do interviews and things of that nature, uh, you know, write on magazines and stuff like that would come through, but I really didn't do a lot of them because it always felt like the media always wanted to go for the fluff. And no matter how many times I talked about that, it just felt like that didn't sell papers, it didn't sell records. So they used the titillation thing, and it always felt like they go for the lowest common denominator, and the superficial, sensational side sold more. So it was much better to focus on the ego as opposed to the heart
0: of the matter. Can 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 hip hop now? Can hip hop go back to what you've kind of always hoped it would do? I mean, with all the power that it had. I mean, you know, it's it's the number one selling art form or mu- music in the states. It's huge, you know, internationally. Is there a movement to get back to? I mean, the roots of what, what's happening? Or is it, is it always going to be like this kind of bling-bling, gangster, gangster mentality? I
2: don't think it'll always be that. I think it'll organically change. But I do think that there are quote-unquote powers that be, and I don't mean it in this big, wicked, big conspiracy theme, but I think playing to the lowest common denominator when it comes to entertainment, whether it's television or radio, and and sometimes film, but definitely television and radio, reality TV and and even the art form, of hip-hop in particular, it's fast money, fast food. The people that are in charge of the uh, distribution of the entertainment or making the most money off of it don't really have a vested interest in anything other than making money. So the reason you put certain reality TV shows on is because the train wreck effect is what you're guaranteeing. It's not really about learning anything or moving the culture forward. It's literally about just making money on that version of the culture. It's kind of like what Jerry Springer did back in the day. Right. It's just basically that kind of mentality is what works hand in hand with the artist. So it's not to say that the artists don't have a right to say what they want to say or do what they want to do, but you know, if something's not popular, the artist will also suit. follow suit. If you knew that you couldn't get a record on the radio saying some of the things you said, then you wouldn't say them because your objective is also to make money and try to be profitable. So, you know, it's the downside of capitalism when you play to the lowest common denominator. And nobody's trying to set anybody up to be, uh, you know, have any longevity. So what you have is a situation where even the guys doing it are trying to get as much money as they can because it's like this may not last and probably won't based on how the industry goes.
0: But it seems like, I mean, it seems like you were able to... I mean, it seems like your first album, Kumodi. Um, you described the song Go See the Doctor as something that you lyrically compromised yourself. Mm-hmm. You say I went from fifth gear to first gear. Right. So you to get that it seems that it sounds like I guess what we consider a, a quote unquote pop tune on right. or a radio friendly tune on the radio. But but you but you do talk about on Go See the Doctor, you talk about venereal disease. Um You know, you go through, you you actually have a lot of kind of socially conscious songs on this album. Is that a possibility now to kind of do a quote-unquote poppy song, but as a kind of a socially conscious song?
2: Absolutely. And I just think it's going to be on the artist to be able to find the creative ways to do that. But just like throughout the history of time, you know, even in the 70s, which I call the greatest uh, music decade that I experienced in my lifetime, um, you know, the diversity was great. But, you know, Stevie Wonder and Earth and Fire, you know, far and few between. It wasn't like everybody was in that space. And I think uh, most people, you, you're you going to get whatever you got based on whatever the people are working with. So I don't know how many people, forget about just rappers or MCs, I don't know how many people are really, really of consciousness or of a conscious state of mind that really, really want to upgrade the society. I think a lot of people literally are being conditioned to just make as much money as they can and try to live a better life or get out of the neighborhoods that they're in. I mean, poverty is traumatizing for the most part, and since most of hip hop comes from that uh, that area, uh, that demographic, I should say, the poverty side of the equation, uh, it just creates a zone where basically the focus is almost like meditation on money. Mm.
0: When how did how did you become? So, I mean, what was it about your growing up or your upbringing that you kind of you just became a really conscious MC? Uh,
2: my. Idols were Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Bruce Lee. Oh. So just the thought process and the philosophical uh, aspect of those three—that archetype—that's just always what turned me on. Where some people you could hear and you could feel people. I don't want to hear all of that because a lot of people, you know, again, I don't want to. I can't give accurate perce- uh, percentages because you know. I... I i sure don't know what the pulse of the whole world is, but I do know for the environments that I was in and for the time period that I came up in, there was a segment of people that enjoyed the Black Panthers and enjoyed the Malcolm X and the whole, you know, Black Power Revolution, stick together, say a loud, I'm black, and I'm proud James Brown thing. But there were a lot of people on the other side that loved the pimp and the player and the hustler. Mm. So Superfly was as relevant as Malcolm X. So it just gets to a space where... That divide, that that conflict or that divide is always in the quote unquote ghetto, and it's just a matter of which one works, which one sells the most, and how many more people does it titillate.
0: Speaking about your childhood, I want to go back to in uh, TV One's unsung. You you know talk about growing up with two parents that were verbally and sometimes physically abusive to each other. Mm-hmm. How did you personally just how did you cope with that in your personal life, but also as well as your art form?
2: Well, for me, the the personal life was again it, it was the beginning of the heightening of my critical thinking, because it's kind of why I, I put such an onus, even in all of my relationships uh, and my friendships even, um, the onus is on communication. If you can't communicate, you're setting yourself up for either some kind of violent outbreak, verbal abuse, if not physical, you're setting yourself up for breakdowns of communication, That or so the breakdown of communication sets you up for really, really inoperative kind of uh, uh, ways of resolving conflicts. And I think that's part of the equation in, in any kind of hood life. If you can master conflict resolution, then you can basically set yourself up to have a better chance to, to better yourself.
0: And one of those things I think that, I mean, you, you kind of make clear, you make clear is that you have a uh, kind of a no-tolerance drug policy. Um, uh,
2: Yeah, well, I also thought that that's, that's part and parcel to the no communication because... Right. If you're not at your sharpest mentally, and I always saw drugs and alcohol very clearly as whatever it is that you're getting in what's supposed to be feeling good, you're trading off in terms of what your actual mental acumen is at this point. You're yeah. not at your sharpest level when you're high or drunk, and then you're going to try to communicate. So it's not, to me, it was like it was no wonder you would break down. I used to always say, even like going to old school hip-hop jams or whatever, it's like, okay, so you have poor. Violent sexual sexually charged energy in a space with people and you're going to add alcohol and drugs I'm surprised nothing happens when it doesn't happen like when people fight or something happens it's like well that seems par for the course because you can't have all of that volatility in the equation and then intoxicate it so uh, I just always saw it as a drawback you know and so many people really, really a condition to believe that they can't have a good time without it. Mm. I just didn't understand how it became a part of the elixir into the equation when it kind of, you know, certain people are less tolerant when they're drunk. Certain people may be more easygoing. Certain people are, you know, a lot more aggressive when they're high. And some people aren't. It's like, why are you adding something to alter your state of being, your state of mind, when, you know, all these other pressures are already there? So for me, that's what you know, uh, it, just again, the critical thinking that came in very early, I just thought of it as a bad piece of the equation and a bad mix. And, you know, even having conversations, if you had a conversation with a parent or an aunt or a family member when they weren't drunk, it was one level of communication. If you had a uh, conversation with them when they were higher drunk, totally, totally, sometimes even incoherent, sometimes you just, you know, you can get away with murder. Like I, that was one of the things I saw a lot of my friends do because my parents weren't the only ones I saw. You know, when parents got drunk, you could kind of con your mother a little easier because she wasn't as sharp, you know, and it's like it just didn't ever seem to end up in anything good from what I saw coming up.
0: And and going into your relationship with uh, your two, you know, two of your group members uh, from Treasures 3, L.A. Sunshine and Special K, um, I interviewed L.A. a while back on his book, and, you know, he made it, he, in his book, he's clear that he was... And he, he, he's been battling he, he was battling a drug addiction for quite a while and he and he purposely needed, wanted to hide it from you because um, he knew your your stance on it um, how did when you found out that they were doing drugs I mean how did that kind of alter your relationship with them
2: um it definitely as easily said in the, in the piece it it just created distance because for me it's a common it's so many other layers that come with the quote-unquote getting high or the getting drunk. First of all, it's you're not at your A-game, which is already frustrating. Second, that means you have some on you, and I don't know in what quantities you have on you, which means we're now vulnerable to what I call police brutality or just police assaults. When they come in, what used to happen constantly in the hood, is cops could just roll up on your block at any day if they felt like, it and say, get out of here, whatever, or pull you over, or pull you, you know, off a bench and search you and see if you had anything, throw you in a car or the paddy wagon back in those days. So I just didn't like the fact that the officers could have the upper hand just because you guys had stuff on you. The third tier is the circle of friends that also get high and smoke or sell drugs or drink. That's now a part of my equation when it wouldn't be a part of my equation. They have no reason to talk to me, no reason to really be around me, other than the fact that we all may live in the same neighborhoods or travel in the same neighborhoods. But to really, really be in my circle, I just never really had it in the circle. But now you guys have brought that into the circle. So that's another layer. What brings that into the circle now is like, now I don't know what kind of conflicts these drug dealers have with whatever drug dealers and who shot who or who did what or whoever. So now their conflicts. We're now vulnerable to those conflicts because they are now in the circle that they wouldn't be. in. so it just, the ripple effect was just too far. So it created a space in me where I had to create a lot more distance because I just didn't know all the stuff that can potentially come with that was way too risky for me to put myself in. And I don't have a docile personality. There's no back down in me whatsoever. And, you know, as it was going into from the 70s into the 80s, the 80s it got out of control with the crack situation mm-hmm. because of the guns. But, you know, I was very, very well known for being able to handle myself with with my fists. Uh, but then it got to a space where nobody's fighting with their fists anymore.
0: Right,
2: right. So now this is gone into peril. So I'm like, uh, the computer did for the nerd what the gun did for the punk. So it was an instant upgrade.
0: How, how did you, How did? I mean, how did you and uh, you, L.A. Sunshine and Special Gay kind of mend that relationship? Oh, we were never uh, not friends.
2: We were never not cool. It's just that I just didn't do a lot of hanging out. We used to always uh, spend a lot of time at L.A.'s house. That was where we Basically, kind of bonded uh at easy Lee 's house we did most of our practicing or whatever, so those are the two uh houses that we kind of hung in apartments I should say and once I found out about the drug use and then the extension of it uh, extents of it, which the biggest part of unsung that uh really let me down was they didn't even talk about me going to college and didn't talk about me graduating from college right. and the thing that is totally missed in that whole piece is I wasn't just trying to make music because I wasn't going to quit while they were getting high and doing drugs or whatever the thing was I went away to college while that was happening so I'm away for long long chunks uh you know two semesters come back for a week for intercession come back for a week for spring break and I'm away most of the year So what was happening was the reason that I didn't know how much of that was going on is I'm not around those guys every day. So once I start to see what's happening, I'm spending way more time. I went to college at Old Westbury. It was only 45 minutes away from the city, but it was still like, you know, going away and living on campus, and I'm staying away and staying out of the fray. So even my strategy of how to avoid those pitfalls was totally left out of the equation on top of the fact that their position was, well, we're not making money. I'm depressed. My position was, well, if it doesn't make money, I'm going to go to school just in case. So that was the whole point. I'm, and I'd, the biggest letdown for me in the whole piece is the fact that they didn't mention that not only did I go to school, go to college, and get a degree, but it was part of the strategy uh... to combine with the zero tolerance to just stay away from and stay above the fray, as opposed to just, oh, he didn't give up on music and he just they they stopped and he kept going. It's yeah. like. Yeah, but how did I keep going?
0: Uh, this actually was one of my questions <laughs> about your degree. Um, was the degree just f- just because you knew the importance of having a fallback?
2: Uh, not really. It was a combination of things. It was one. Um, I really, really don't believe in giving up. Uh, so uh, in high school, we got into a big thing with a guidance counselor, and you know, it, it was a situation where it's like, okay, either you're going to drop out and follow you know, the course of what happens in dropping out, or you're going to take a GED and go to colleges, which was actually what I did and what Special K did. Well, Special K and LA actually took GEDs also. But um, for me, it was like, I have to go to college. I have to get a degree. I have to actually finish school because the degree is part of the strategy or part of a necessary piece to the strategy of, again, nobody could say in 1981 or 82 that hip hop was going to be any kind of career. Mm. You could have a career in it. So for me, it was just like, what else am I going to do? So I definitely would have wound up going to film school or something like that because uh, after Westbury, luckily, uh, the, the, or the I say, as fate would have it, the music stuff really started clicking for me as a soloist. But uh, my next phase is going to be I was going to go to NYU, and I was going to uh, you know p- apply and try to go to film school or do something in the arts because I always knew I wanted to do something within the creative side of the equation. So... You know, just that kind of planning and that kind of thinking was totally left on the cutting room floor.
0: And I, I before we move on to your solo career, I actually, was there anything that, looking back on it, or actually during, was there anything you wished that uh, Treasures Three as a group accomplished?
2: Uh, I truthfully just wished that there were no drugs and alcohol in the equation and we could have stayed the course that we would have, because I think, uh, you know, not that I have any regrets in the solo career, but I think we might have done what Wu Tang did later. You know, we might have been a group that also had three solo careers simultaneously.
0: So, so the solo career for you was this. I mean, it was no matter what was gonna, it was an, an inevitable thing, right?
2: Uh, not necessarily. I just think that it was a, it was cause and effect. And then once the effect took over, I understood the gift and the need for it, so to speak, because it it read me to really, really do just the kind of music I want. And Special K who's also an extremely creative guy, likes, you know, a certain style of music and we always we didn't always see eye to eye. So coming up to with an agreement for a record that we would do, uh, you know, most of the times two people would be happy and then not one or something to that effect or whatever. So I think with moving on and being able to be successful as a group would have opened up those avenues so that everybody could take the quote unquote shot that they wanted to take as a solo or whatever and I think it would have been again Velvet DeVoe did it with the New Edition just those kinds of things we would have definitely done and I thought it would have been healthy to be able to do that and uh, come back and do whatever you want together whenever you need to based on what you want to do and, and just have a healthier frame of mind about it.
0: To download the full interview go to my podcast in iTunes it's called The Library with Tim Einenkel that's E I N E N K E L. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kosher22. We'll continue this conversation next week on And You Don't Stop with Chuck D. This is Tim Heinekel with like The Library. Doctor.
1: When I rock the mic, you got to like the way I operate. I make miracles happen just for rabbits. I'm so lyrically poet, and I'm floating and exploding on the scene. Mean, I got the potential to make it go then chill. I got the credentials that if the wheat's chill, to make a rap and chill, then you know I will fulfill. Make a couple of meal as I build a gill for all the rabble to skill and kill the weak rabble to no frill. Hang him in effigy, if he's a sucker Hang him to the left of me, cause my right hand man is my mic stand And the microphone that I own, and my game plan is keep it at a steady pace Ain't no reason to rush, it ain't no race I'ma hit the top just when I wanna And it's a matter of time, and I'm gonna, cause I know winter Go ahead and enter the classic Mo D rap that sent ya Running around, holding your hand, asking your homeboy, yo man, you heard what he said Another funky rhythm Look at your man and give him a high five, cause I'm lying, running around with him Telling everybody hanging out on the block, it's time to wake up, check the clock Punching. I go to work. I go to work. I go to work. Like an architect, I build the rhyme. Sometimes it climbs so erect, skyscrapers look like atoms. cars, electrons rolling in. The rappers and after I came off vacation I came to roam the land I own, stand alone On the microphone, daddy's home So open the door, playtime is over Time to go to work, work to show the Suckers in the place and run their face, a taste Like a punch My rhyme rocks you Sometimes it knocks you so hard Time and native New Yorkers right up a the wave to say the mental state of the fans So he can understand my pencils writing the rhyme in its highest form And I'ma drop it on you like a bomb. And when it explodes I'll blow up A few casualties But so what if you slow you blow you know you go I flow I flow or blow I go Each rhyme's a dissertation You wanna know my occupation I get paid to rock the nation I go to work